It's uh, always a pleasure to get together with my favorite golf nerd, Tim O'Connor. The song, uh, the song, the song is called Swing Thoughts. Yeah. I'm Humble Howard, of course, from uh, the Humble and Fred Show. Soon to be celebrating 10 years of podcasting. Next month is uh, our 10th year of being in business. And I was thinking about you and I. Good morning or hello. Hi, whatever. Hi, how are you? Oh, I got to turn your thing up. Hi. <laughs> That's a cool anniversary. Uh, I was th- well, thank you. But I was thinking also, you know, how quickly time has gone by. Do you remember what year you and I started doing this? Because I don't. I know it's five years or something, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we are in our sixth year. I remember we started talking about this in 2015. Wow. We did a couple little trial runs. And some auditions, some, reason, some clunky auditions. And some reason you decided to go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I think our very first one is um, in January of 2016. Wow. Uh, it's Swing Thoughts. That's not, it's the podcast, not the song. Brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. You know, I, I really think you and I, uh, I use this word guardedly. Blessed. I think we're very lucky. Uh, because you can't find two guys that love this game and love talking about the game and all things about the game more than O'Connor and I. And we are just surrounded in our lives by people, you know, that we have access to and people like TaylorMade and JW Apparel. I mean, it really is great. And even though the sort of major part of our season is over, usually we wrap things up after Labor Day, but... You know, I feel that way, and, I, and I'm sure I speak for you, and how uh, lucky we are to have the uh, access to all the the sponsorship and the people that we get to talk to. Oh, 100%. Really, really fortunate. Um, it's funny. Um, I was playing last night, and a guy launched his uh, first ball into the woods. Here. Throw him a ball. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he launches it into the woods on the other side. He goes, oh, sorry to lose your ball. It's just, uh, no problem. I get them gratis. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I love that. TaylorMade Golf. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Last uh, week, we spoke to uh, James Dees from uh, TaylorMade, the new 790s. People seem to be quite buzzy about them. I'm hearing a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, the 790s. Have you seen that? Yeah, I had a, a, a guy... Um, Last Saturday, saying that, yep, next year, that's what he's getting, P790s. Yeah, they're quite they're quite something. And visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn more about them. And more than one on more than one occasion this summer, I'm sure it's happened to you. People have said, "What are you? Uh, what are you wearing there?" And I say, "Well, it's a Beadradi or Zero Restriction uh, from our good friends at JW Apparel Inc." Yeah, and I'm I, I happen to be modeling. A zero-restriction pullover today. Yeah, it's cool. I've got a version of that. Mine's great. I can even tell tell without asking my wife that it's blue. Yeah, I was going to say, I have one. I think it's green. Not 100%. JWApparelInc.com is where you catch up on that. Uh, Let's get right into it. Um, You wanted to start with a follow-up. Last week, we spoke to uh, Charles Fitzsimmons, Dr. Chucky. I have a really interesting story about him, but I want you to sort of follow up. We were talking about NeuroPeak and the idea of breathing and how it affects your performance. And you had a a real life experience with that. Yeah, well, I've been 
coaching people in awareness through my webinars and just my coaching generally for a number of years. And we always come back to breathing as the way to come into the present moment. Because as I said with Charles, a lot of people don't even know what it means. Does it mean I have to clear my mind or think about good, positive things? No, being positive is just being aware of like what's happening in the moment. And Charles just reminded me how that is just focusing on your breathing as you're playing the game and as we descend into this lovely music. Do you know what this song is? I do. Yes, breathe. Just Breathe by Pearl yeah. Jam. Edge 102. <laughs> I was thinking our band could do a good version of this. Anyways, what is the name of your band again? CID. Okay, and what does that stand for? Well, we got a bunch of Brits who are expats in our band. Oh, okay. Apparently, it stands for uh, Criminal Investigation Department. Nice. What I prefer is Champions in Disguise. Good for you. Whatever you know, whatever <laughs> fantasy, whatever, right? Whatever fantasy you old guys need. Um, well, you know, I've been okay. uh, I've been uh, taking advantage of this uh, breathing uh, paradigm, going way back into the early part of this season. Um, I think in the uh, senior club championship, that was when uh, I think I, I had done my assessment with Neuropeak before that. But basically, Charles and I were talking about this. There's a pattern to breathing, the one four one. It's called. It right. doesn't matter. The, the point is being aware of your breath. You uh, had a you had a good uh, you had a good round. Yeah, well, I've been using my breath generally as a way to kind of center myself sometimes uh, in my pre-shot routine. But what I was doing was carrying it through like club selection to hitting the ball. Yeah, which is it went a little bit longer in terms of a focus. And I just felt really calm, um, for sure. Um, and I just sort of felt like the swing was something that just happened. And it was it was really nice. And I had a, a very nice round. I had a, had a 78 at Blue Springs, which is a, a good score on that track, which is... It's a good score on any track. Well, yeah, but it's a really... Blue Springs is a difficult... No, I know. Course to score on. Yes, it is. It's really penal. But anyways, um, it was just, no, I just thought it would be cool to follow up because I think a lot of people still struggle with the idea of what? Focus on my breath instead of how I'm, how I'm turning, uh, smooth up my backswing, all this kind of good stuff. And I, what I'm finding is I delve a little bit deeper into this, including that breath book that you suggested. Yes. Um, Jane Story, I think is her name. That is correct. Yeah. So, anyways, I just found that uh, it's a it's a a pretty cool experience that falls in line with a lot of things that you and I have been talking about for years. Is how do you get out of your own way? How do you f- go into a state of of flow? In essence, stop the self interference. Yeah. And I just found it. You know, it was a, it was a really great experience. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that. I mean, I gave you a quick tip a few weeks before when you were playing an event, and I said, you know. One of the things you might try is, you know, because I sort of do it now unconsciously. I'm always, you know, it's this yogic breath. The the one four one pattern is just you start with four breaths in, hold for one, breathe out four, hold for one, and you continue. So mm-hmm. the thing I told you, I said, you know, sometimes just before I hit it, 
I will release, you know, I take a breath and then I release it sort of very quietly and then I hit it. What I wanted to ask you about your round, because this is, I think, an informative for the average player. You know, it's not like you you have this idyllic experience where the entire thing was just so fantastic. I, I'm sure there were times when you were in flow for four or five holes or three or four holes, whatever it is, and everyone can experience that. But I, I guarantee you there were a few holes where it was like, oh, well, it wasn't great, but it was okay. And, and and shooting a good number, whether it's 78 or 88 or whatever it is you play, has a lot to do with when it goes awry for a few holes, which it does for all of us. The The question I have for you is, it just when you have a good round like that, a great round like you had, usually those holes where it goes off kilter for a bit just never get too bad, right? Like, you must have made bogeys. You must have made a few mental mistakes. But I'm just saying that in those good rounds, usually you look back and you think, well, you know, I had a stretch of some, you know, mediocre holes or some shots I didn't really connect with. They just weren't so bad. Yeah. um, What immediately comes to mind for me was um, hole number eight at Blue Springs, which is a difficult driving hole because you have to hit over water, but the water angles away on you so if you yeah. push it you're you're in the drink and i was feeling no and to be fair to be fair to you that hole if you, you so you got water right you've got a narrow landing area so if you bail left you're in trees it, yeah, i right. think it's one of the most difficult holes from the blue tees because now you got to hit something with a, a head cover on it to, to find yeah. it in play i love that with a head cover on it <laughs> No, because from the white tees, you can kind of like dink up an iron. You know, you can hit an iron and find the fairway. But those other tees, you've got to hit something. And it's a very difficult hole. Well, what I'm I'm getting to is that, and I'm I'm trying to connect to your point in terms of how bad it you know, it could be is that hole just, it's just kind of, it's kind of like 12. And I'm sure our listeners all have a hole at their own course where it just, you know, they just tighten up a little bit and that, happened to me and i i hit it off to the right into into the water and anyways what i found was when i hit from the drop zone i just fell back into the breathing piece and i just nutted this hybrid it was just sweet and it's just to me it's as it's as i'm not sure easy is the word but it's having my awareness that oh you know what I would, perhaps I was tight. Perhaps the the focus on breathing got away from me, and, and what I think was just not as aware as I as I wanted to be um, as I made my swing. Because well, on the tee shot, yeah, it's like for for me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners, the what causes most of the shots to go awry is basically unawareness of of the tension we're carrying, yeah, which of leads to you know a fast back swing. Um, you're just gripping it too tight and all that kind of good stuff. So that's what I that's what I found is what what this experience with breathing and and delving a little bit deeper into awareness allows me to say recover when I do have a bad hole. Yeah, and and I and I yeah that that's that's a great answer. Um, and and I I think we can all relate to that. We all have shots or moments in a round where we inadvertently are tensing up 
what I was getting to, though, is that in, even in your best round of the year, there are moments, there are stretches when you're not in that. There's a great example, actually. You did sort of answer. There's a moment there where you weren't as connected as you were for the rest of the round. It just didn't lead to a, a huge number. Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess what oh, I'm trying yeah. to say is that in everyone's good rounds and, and everyone's great rounds, there are still moments when it's not going amazing. But the great rounds are when it doesn't go so horribly wrong that you ruin that you ruin your score. That's right. Yeah. And I think breathing yeah. and being aware what that does. And, and I've been this is a, my latest thing that I'm on, which is, you know, that, that on the way to every triple bogey is a, a double bogey a decision you can make to make less than that number. Mm-hmm. So what you did that day is you, you went back to your breathing and rather than rush your next shot after dropping it in the water and having to take a drop and you're having a good round and all those things that people think of, you took a moment, you reconnected with your breath and then you hit a very good, you know, recovery shot as we say. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us, in those moments, we do the opposite. We start to spiral. Or as, uh, you know, you know what would say, one of the things is to try not to panic when those things happen. That's and right. what you did by not panicking is you brought yourself to give yourself the best chance of hitting that hybrid up and around or near the green. And, and I'm, I'm guessing you made a bogey. Um. Yes, I did. Because you're in the one in the water and three somewhere on the green or around it. Yep. And I guess we're we're both making the same point. What I'm trying to point out is that being aware helps stop the inevitable spiral that happens when we all hit bad shots. You know, it's just... I've learned nothing else this summer except for the fact... if, If I've learned nothing else, it's the fact that making six instead of seven... Helps keep the round going. That's right. Yeah, and being a rageaholic like myself, uh, it, it's easy to let those things get away from you. And and the point about Tim seventy eight is, it wasn't all butterflies and unicorns. Yeah, yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is that, and we've talked about this a number of times. Is you know you're left with you know a four you know a three footer for seven. And, hmm. and and in previous years, <laughs> I think we both would have just kind of waved at it. Who cares? Whatever. And those are round killers. You know, you're unfocused and you you let it go. To me, what what we're talking about is that ability to you know it happens every oh really <laughs> you know this is happening and to kind of arrest it and to turn it and go okay no no we got to just never mind all that all the nonsense or the story or the self flagellation. Get down to business and don't don't waste this. And so I think that's kind of what we're talking about is that ability not to spike emotionally up and down, but to, to kind of ride it out sort of more to level out the waves. Well, yeah, it's like if you if you look back at, you know, a triple or a quadruple bogey that you've made, there was a moment in there where if you had just decided to take, you know, I don't know how many cliches I could list, take your medicine, you know, take what the golf course gives you, you know, play one <laughs> shot at a time. There's a thousand of them. But usually yeah. it's a thing where you say, you know what it is. And I, and I thought about this. It's a lot of male ego where you like 
you're you're not willing to admit that par is no longer an option and as and as long as you keep trying to get a, a mistake back you've hit it in the trees and there's an opening and you know the classic i'm going to try and hit it through those branches and then you you just don't accept that par is out of the question and sometimes on the way to a high number bogey's out of the question That's but right. our but our egos are just fighting because I don't know, you would know better than me. Shame, you know, feelings of inadequacy, whatever those real feelings are. If you could just stop for a second and go, okay, the best I can do from this point forward is a double bogey. And I swear it's in, and I play a lot of tournament golf. It's better than seven. <laughs> and, and, but the problem is in the moment, we're still petulantly trying, you know, egoically Oh, I made a mistake. I feel bad about myself. I want to make the it's out. Of, it's gone. It's just right. gone. And I think that's the hardest lesson. But the greatest lesson for scoring that I've learned is that number is gone. What are you going to do now? Well, I think that so much of what happens is is what we become unconscious of what's really happening. Yes. We become unconscious that our feelings have run away on us and that we're, you know, yeah, we could feel, oh, geez, I don't want to make a, uh, you know, I, I don't want to make a double here and look like a, an idiot or I took like the, the, uh, the meek and mild way to do this, you know, a real man's going to find the open <laughs> or yeah. whatever. But we become unconscious of what's happening to us. And I think that, um, when we breathe and use some awareness and go, okay, what's we're tuned into what's happening. It was interesting. I had a client the other day wondering about you know, why he self sabotages, why he gets unconscious. And I said, why is the wrong question? The question to ask is what is happening? And so breathing, stepping back, detaching a bit allows us to do that. And you can even do it physically. You're sitting there, you're looking at the ball, you're looking at this one way to go, root A, root B, root A, root B, step back and go, what's happening here? Okay. And you just kind of lower the temperature, which I love that phrase you've brought into thermostat. our lexicon. Yeah. Thermostat, temperature. Keep, you thermostat. know, if you, yeah, any round of golf, your thermostat is kind of set around, you know, an even number, you know, you're always around, you know, whatever. Uh, you'll find those rounds of golf tend to produce lower scores, which is what we're all doing this for. Yeah. So when you're when you're bit, when you're more aware of what's going on, then you're able to respond better, and mm-hmm. thus the thermostat stays lower, and thus your score stays lower. How how do you like that for some? No, I love it, and and you know, and awareness is also not only is it curative um, in the world in the real world, but. You know, I, I mentioned on the show last week uh, in my qualifier that, you know, I, I, I knew I was pretty amped up and I knew that, you know, I didn't have my access to my full array of skills because all I could produce with a driver and three wood is some other hooks into the woods. So when I got to the last hole, I didn't care that it was a 530 yard plus par five. I was like. I'm aware of this situation that all I need to do is, you know, limp into this, get through this with a par or bogey, and I will have qualified. So I didn't tee off with a driver. I had a four iron. Then I smother hooked a seven iron that just barely kept me out of the woods. And then I somehow produced an okay eight iron and got it on the green. 
None of those shots were very good. The four iron wasn't bad. It wasn't my full flush. But what it did do is it took anything bigger, really, than five or six out of the out of the equation. But I can tell you, an earlier version of myself wouldn't have been aware enough. And I would have thought, oh, I got to hit driver because I probably need a birdie because five over won't qualify. Well, I know it will. You know, I hadn't seen any scores, because, but I was one of the last groups. But I've played enough of this golf to know that on that day, on that course, if I could just bogey the last hole, I'd have been fine. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. A lot of guys are aware, but as you say, when you're with your client... You're sort of why people self-sabotage their golf rounds is because they're really not there. And they don't think of it till later. They go, oh, yeah, man. Exactly. Maybe yeah, I should have yeah. laid up short of the burn. Or they get so caught up in all their different thoughts that, you know, they're just pinging all over the place. It's a state of confusion. And, and sometimes we do get into a, a near state of panic. Okay, fine. I got to get on with this. And you just don't make a good decision. And and. You know, I found that in, um, I'll be trying to be as mercifully brief as I can with this, but um, our university golf season has started, and so it's not just about managing the players and tryouts, it's all these effing forms and courses we got to take, and, you know, logging into all this stuff, and I was getting really angry at all this stuff I had to do, um, frustrated that when, you know, I couldn't log into things, and I was really beating the living crap out of myself for being, you know, just incompetent. You know, I can't do this stuff, which are all the same stories that that I've told myself on the golf course. But when I kind of got through it and just went, oh, that's fine. You're fine. It's never as big a deal as we, we make it out to be. But in the, you know, in the moment, there is like it's almost like a panic sometimes. It's like the uh, difference between reacting and responding is the 100%. is the difference between you know shooting the lowest score you can from that point forward and making a double and a triple and a quad. I mean, <clears throat> I don't want to jinx. No, I, I won't even say it out loud because I was going to say I, I said this yesterday. I thought, am I jinxing this? I was talking <laughs> to uh, another good friend of ours, Sean Casey, yesterday because he he this this course I'm playing next week. Uh, he had mapped the course with his juniors loyalist loyalist in uh kingston and um you know i was just talking about my scoring ability and how much lower my handicap is this year and i said uh i've just gone the entire season and i don't think i've made anything worse than a double bogey and i only make double bogeys at a very like i've got my uh you know i make a double bogey point three zero of a round that means like every three rounds i guess or would that every be how many rounds it kind of whatever like i don't make very many double bogeys right okay. you know i think it's uh double bogeys per round 0.35 and and i make almost and and because i'm okay making a double bogey when it happens because i know i can come back from that triple bogeys are tough yeah not that you can't come back, but it's a lot to make up. And there's a there's a momentum shift that happens when you make a bunch of those. Oh, totally. You know. <laughs> um, okay, well, that was great. You So, 78, congratulations. Uh, we have another um, significant, hang on. I've paid my dues time after time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is for our uh, Swing Thoughts uh, STD. 
That's uh, Swing Thoughts devotee. <laughs> Brad Sholet. Everybody, Brad Sholet. Hang on. Where's the applause? There we go. Real applause. Not just a golf clap. That's real applause. Now, why are we recognizing uh, Brad Sholet, you say? Tim, why don't you tell everyone? Well, Brad is the, uh, the newly crowned A-flight champ. At his club, and if I read his email, maybe a little bit more uh, with more detail, I'd know what club it was. Yeah, I have it in front of me, but now I can't find it either. Hang on. So Brad, uh, he says, uh, Howard and Tim, I wanted to give you guys a big thank you for all your help. I've listened to every episode of Swing Thoughts. Oh, he's a Hundy uh, P. Tried my best to adopt the philosophies you talk about with each other and the awesome guests you have on the show. Anyway, this happened yesterday. Thanks again, fellas. He's the A-Flight champion, and you know what? It doesn't say what golf course he plays at. So there you go. I think it's one of the lovely municipally owned courses around the greater Hamilton area. Well, he is the champion, and uh, we say uh, thank you, Brad Chillette, for listening to this nonsense. Every yes, every one of these episodes. You. It's not easy winning anything. But it's been no bed of roses. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to do a little uh, golf talk now. Uh, golf, uh, professional golf talk. Uh, Tim O'Connor, of course, a, a longtime golf journalist. Uh, Howard Glassman, uh, you know, super nerd. Um, in no particular order, uh, two weeks from today, we're recording this on Friday, September 10th. Uh, any interest, any thoughts about the uh, Ryder Cup? Oh, man, I love the Ryder Cup. Um, I always root for the Europeans. Yeah, me too. I was going to say that. <laughs> Forget yeah, the just, USA. Just get that, just get that straight out yeah. there. I'm the um, same. And by the way, I will say I'm now rooting against the USA. Not just for the Europeans. I'm against them. Well, okay. Uh, just keep that going. Want to hear? No, no. What, I just, I, how, it's, it's not just. It's, it's not <laughs> passive anymore. Please continue. I'm just saying. I actively hate them. Uh, I don't know that I hate. There's, well, you're better than I am. Um. <laughs> there's just. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it comes with sort of being, you know, Canada living, you know, against the United, beside the United States. You know, the old metaphor of the mouse uh, trying to sleep in the same bed with an elephant and uh yeah just i don't know there's just um there's just something about the the uh the spunky fun uh europeans that i just love and you know just like i just love to see people like brooks kepka and bryson lose <laughs> i don't know there's just there's parts of those guys that i just i can respect them as players uh, but like them, nope, I don't. Oh, I so, agree. Um, I, I don't think the U.S. Well, listen, it's the same thing every Ryder Cup. I actually won't be able to watch any of it this year because I'm going to be playing a, a tournament that weekend in St. Thomas. But having said that, I don't I don't know. I'm kind of interested, but I'm not. I, I actively am rooting against the USA because I just think they're the worst people on the planet. But as golfers, you know... As golfers, again, they, on paper, they're the 12 best players. I mean, other than John Rahm, I mean, the top five or six of the U.S. squad are all in the top 10. But uh, they just don't have the same 
You know, what, what makes them great as individuals is what makes them bad team players. I mean, you organize a, a golf team, you know, you can sort of see that they're the Americans on paper should never lose this thing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the on paper thing is always interesting, but it always comes down to, yeah, like chemistry. And it's almost like every year or every second year, there's some kind of controversy. Yeah. About someone didn't get started enough. Then you had a couple of years ago, you had uh, Patrick Reed, um, you know, although Captain America, no. you know, petulant that he didn't get started enough with Spieth or something. But no, you're right. There seems to be, you know, the um, maybe it's grounded in the American sensibility of life. Well, what's their mission statement? Something about uh, life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. Um, yeah. It sounds like kind of an individual thing. Well, that's what I'm saying. They're individually, they're fantastic. And golf being an individual sport. And you'd think that a lot of these, most of these kids, and that's what they are, have had Walker <laughs> Cup experience, uh, oh, university yeah. golf experience. They've had a lot of team golf experience. But something at the professional level eludes them. Although, you know, to be fair to the Americans, you know, they, they've had a better record of late. Mm-hmm. But still, um, again, if I weren't busy, I'd watch it. I love watching the singles. I love I love match play. Oh my gosh! Yes, you don't. I don't play enough of it. I only played a couple of tournaments this year, the little senior Ryder Cup, where it was match play format. But I really like it. I think it really frees people up. I think you, you know, I tend to have good ball striking rounds in match play because I can just send it and not care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and that's that's oh, an yeah. interesting mentality because when you, when you're playing your own ball stroke play in tournament conditions, there's always a there's always for me at least a, a hesitation on in in some cases. But with match play or on a team format, you're like, I got a partner. Let's just aim over there. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Well, you you know, as everyone knows, you the nice thing about match play is that you can have a blow up hole and. Just go out. We got another hole to play here, you know. But you know, I was thinking about, uh, and I'm just looking at the American roster here. Um, you know, there's some guys. It'll be interesting to see, like, how well will Cantley, um, you know, jive with other guys, or certainly, you know, Bryson and Brooks. There, you just don't know. But I look at guys like like Tony Finau, uh, Spieth, uh, Justin Thomas. Um, all those guys seem like decent decent fellows they should be able to mesh well with others but can they carry that through everyone because yeah. you have to mix it up and um so uh, that's always the question mark and it always just seems to be i don't know i mean you could i don't think you can make the case anymore that uh, all the europeans travel together no most of the, you know most of the guys in the european tour or the europeans shall i say they'll play Almost all of their yeah. golf in America, as they. So. I, I, I think I read it was like seventy five percent of their team spends most of their time playing the U.S. tour. Yeah, so I think in the past people had said, "Well, they travel together and they roomed." No, no, that I doesn't don't. happen. Anymore. But but I think there is a. I think there is even though you know McElroy and Garcia and uh, some of the others spend a lot of their time in the U.S. because they're from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think there and there's a. You know, uh, a sense of being the perennial underdogs. I think that brings them together, you know. Um, and they're just a different, they're a different, it's a different sensibility being 
somebody from England or the you know or Ireland or Spain than somebody from you know the continental U.S. where again you know the American sensibility is different. You know they're sort of uh, well they're Americans. <laughs> well, you know it's interesting. Yes, two Canadians uh, pontificating about about this and. America, there's just, there's no way around it. When you look, when you're outside of the States, you look at their cultures, this very insular culture, where they don't give a crap, appear not to give a crap about what goes on elsewhere. Or know anything um, about what goes on elsewhere. Yeah, and, and people, you know, they there's just like complete lack of awareness of what goes on, say, in Canada there. So they're kind of they're kind of easy to dislike, you know. When yeah. you're in when you're you know when you're in a restaurant in another country, sometimes like the <laughs> it, it just seems weird what the expectations. But I feel like I'm in gross generalization mode. So yeah, what's um, wrong with that? Because <laughs> because oh, I don't know, uh, feeling uh, somewhat guilty about. A few listen, times work, I've been in restaurants you, you know, and you work out your own personal stuff on your own time. <laughs> we're, we're here to have opinions and say outrageous shit. Um, but I hear what you're saying. But you know, when I say fuck them, um, here's what I want to know: Do do the guys on your team call you Coach Tim? They they refer to you as Coach Tim. Yes. Okay. Which I think is fine because you're coaching them. I don't know. There's just something about, and this is for both teams, like the fact that the players keep referring to Captain Stricker and Captain Harrington or whatever. Like, don't get over yourselves. You know, it's like all of a sudden you're the, you're the Ryder uh, Cup. Just, you're the Ryder Cup captain and we're all supposed to call you captain. Anyway, oh, I don't a, know. I think it's all part of. I, I know. Golf has its traditions. <laughs> Mr. Palmer, Mr. Uline, all, Mr. Hogan. I know. I think it's all part of that stuff. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, Patrick Cantlay, uh, again, a little bit of controversy. I didn't really care. The fact that he won the FedEx Cup, he won the Tour Championship, but he didn't actually have the lowest score for that four-round tournament. I don't know about you, but a lot of my golf chums have been uh, discussing this this week, so I thought, well, we should too then. We're golf chums. Um, this is the third year for this format where you get seated in yep. the uh, in the the last three years they've done this so that if whoever wins that tournament in Atlanta wins the FedEx Cup. And uh, I think we all are familiar that if you're seated first, you're 10 under par and all the way down to even par. And, and yeah, John Rahm shot a lower four-round score than Patrick Cantlay. But, Cant- but Patrick Cantlay's play seated him first. So I was like, okay, great. Now on Sunday, when this guy pulls out, we'll know who won both things. Mm-hmm. As opposed to four years ago, when Justin Thomas won the FedEx Cup, I think, and Xander Schauffele won the actual tournament. What are your thoughts, Coach Tim? I just, I just find it kind of contrived. But I'm trying to get my head around. That, okay, this is a season long thing, mm-hmm. and. I understand what they're trying to do, and it's kind of like identify who is the best player around. So, Cantley won four tournaments this year, so you can make an argument. Yeah, he's the guy. Um, but there's just a sheen of 
artif- artifice around it. I just and it just seems contrived. I think I may have said that word a couple times now. That it's kind of like okay, fine, just get on with it. Who won? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, okay, but like before, you could you could have a tournament, and, I, and, I, and again, they're doing it to try and come up with a way to make it more exciting. But you know, prior to this last three year thing. You know, you, the the guy that wins the FedEx Cup could finish tenth. I know, I know. And um, it, it uh, listen, I don't think this is the perfect solution. Uh, you know, I think there's probably I don't know what it is, but I, I get what you're saying. It, it's a bit contrived. But once you accept that, I watched quite a bit of the Tour Championship, and um, you know, it's not like Rom was five ahead of Canada. I think he beat him by two for the weekend or for the for the tournament. So it made it close. And it yeah. certainly made Sunday watching it pretty exciting. Yeah, it was there's a lot of drama there, particularly when um Cantley was struggling with uh, that the Bermuda there yeah. on seventeen. And yeah. you know he committed the sin, I thought immediately of you when he when he uh, made the first flopper. That's right. He two chipped. And landed it short. And I went, ooh, you should be listening to That's GSL. Right. Two we'll chipping. That. Exactly. No, there's a lot of drama there. But just, I don't, it might be me, maybe because I'm not a big numbers guy. But when they start to explain this stuff, I that's when I get a sandwich or something. I just don't care. No. So, yeah, maybe it's better. Maybe it's a better system, but maybe that's it. It's just a, it's a system. Yeah, and, and you think about we're watching a televised sporting event. And the key there is these all these things, whether it's the tennis last night or the Blue Jays on a, a, a heater, as Freddie calls it, or mm-hmm. or the golf. It's all made for television We're we're not watching our kids play you know, fun soccer out in, you know, Milton Oakville. You know, these are paid athletes doing something for our entertainment. And so these governing bodies, you know, Freddie was telling me this week, because I was a little unclear how the wild card works in baseball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you and I were kids, there was no wild card. You won your division and they all played and that was the World Series. But because of fans and in money and television to try and make, the Blue Jay fans at least half interested in September because without the wild card, no one's watching baseball right now. I, th- I think they're ten back. Unless of, you're unless you're a nut bar baseball. No, fan. no exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, but if you're a casual fan like me, I, I, I'm not, and like you. So they they come up with a contrived and I love that word uh, non traditional format to make. The cities that whose teams would have been out of it in July have some interest for television. So I, I mean, golf isn't any different. It's a sport that's run by corporations for our amusement. Um, I, I find that's kind of like a, a kind of a sad reductionism, but we'll go with that. Well, I mean, it's, but, but no, I, 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 your point is really well made. I mean, I we're sitting around last night after men's night at Blue Springs, and I went, "Okay, I'm officially on the Blue Jays bandwagon." Yep. I had not watched any baseball this year, but on uh, Wednesday night, I watched two innings. You know, let's see. Just because, oh, this wild card thing they yep. got going, and they didn't have that going in my grandpa's era. Listen, when you and I were kids, uh, I was probably the my most my biggest hockey fan years 
you know, were from, you know, in the in the 60s, you know, starting at six or seven until I was 16. But the the intense, you know, when Boston won uh, the Stanley Cup, that was my team. Uh, and they were there were six teams. No, I'm sorry, 12 teams in the league at that time. And when you and I were kids, there was only six. So right. how, you know, think about everything is. Everything has changed from the traditional. You know, the fact that baseball, this is my favorite in all sports, that the baseball people still call the American League the junior circuit, and it was formed in the fucking 1800s. <laughs> so that's the tradition of sports. Oh, yeah, there's the junior circuit. Really? It didn't start yesterday. But um, anyway, so, yeah, I can I can see that. It, 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 again, I'm not trying to be too dystopian about the whole thing. It's all just made for our entertainment. Um, OK, so we did that tour championship player of the year. Again, a bit of a controversy. Cantley won four times. But the argument for Rom is he won a major. He won, yeah. won the memorial and he really won the tour championship. And as I said to somebody who told me that at men's night, I went, yeah, but golf tournaments are four rounds. He had COVID, and uh, this tournament didn't count because in order to win it, you have to have been in a position to be in the lead uh, going into it. So, mm. I don't know. I think Patrick Cantley um, winning four times is a pretty good bet for player of the year, although I just read this morning that John Rahm was the PGA of America's player of the year. That's right. Well, also, I think there's more than just the numbers uh, at stake here. Um, Rom. He seemed to be in all the majors, always there. A true, yeah. In in all the big events, you know, Memorial, obviously. Um, but it was kind of like, I think what goes into some of these things is certainly more than just the numbers and all that kind of stuff. So I just think that people have seen Rom coming up for a while, and this was his year. He won the U.S. Open in amazing fashion. He birdies two of the last two holes, which is you know wonderful stuff. And I, I just think people say, yeah, it's his time. He's the guy. He had he had a, his best year. Number one player in the world. Yeah. So let's recognize him and bam, we'll give him this award. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't surprise me, but it also, I, I think you can make an argument that Patrick Cantley deserves it as well. But I would give you, like, one U.S. Open is worth, I'm going to say, at least two or three of Patrick Cantley's wins. Hundred percent, yeah, absolutely. But, Still, I mean, I mean, look at the excitement around uh, Fernandez and sorry, the the other Canadian kid in the U.S. Open in tennis. Yeah, I mean, this is people. This is where you gravitate, yeah. and careers are defined on 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 you know Grand Slam wins. The PGA Tour, though, as a uh, company, would like to. Because their their big sponsor, their partner FedEx, uh, they want to make the FedEx Cup champion equivalent to a major champion. They would because that it's good for their brand. I think us golf fans still don't, even though the FedEx Cup has been around for fifteen years. Think about that. Think about how contrived we all thought this was. The playoffs. And again, they did it all so that the PGA Tour season would end prior to football. Uh, you know, again, back to my point, these are just big companies trying to make, yep. you know, entertainment for their fans. But I don't think the average golf fans think, fan thinks of the FedEx Cup in the same strata as the U.S. Open. So I will give Rom that 
It's got to be not worth, even close. No, not well, even close. Yeah, I think the average fan. But I, I wonder, and I don't have the answer. What do you think the players think? Well, they certainly like the money. Although yeah. I like Cantley's, and I do think Cantley's completely sincere when he says it's not about the money. With the stuff that he's been through, his yeah. back, you know, his caddy and died, yeah, getting yeah. killed, and uh and I think that's a key reason why Cantley is just such a. He's so grounded. Yeah, but I love anyways, the kid. Uh, I, I don't. Th- I don't even think the players talk about it much. Have you ever heard anybody at your at your club? Uh, you know, after a round, going, "Hey, I see that uh, Shoffley's making a run here in the uh, FedEx Cup." Never heard that. No. Um, and I think the players just, you know, they're, they're playing for money. This is their living. Uh, I think they're. They're really attached to the dollars um, because this is what they do for a living. No, I know. Um, you know, uh, but, but I will say I I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I'm fifteen million dollars, no matter how much Patrick Cantley is being paid. You know, it, it's a lot of money for us golf fans because it's golf has been a little bit, you know, outside of the two or three superstars in every era. You know, the the hundredth ranked player in golf doesn't make anything near the 100th ranked player in baseball, basketball, or football. Maybe exactly. football. But um, so Patrick Cantley getting $15 million seems like a lot of money to a golf fan, but not if he was Derek Jeter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, so yeah, totally. Uh, so I, I, even though they're probably not playing for the money the way we think we would be, but they are, it's, I think it, it means something to them. Um, all right. Well, that was very good. In our final segment here, uh, yeah, man. What are we gonna do now? Um, so I, when I said that you and I should have a call, I mean, you said, "Hey, let's do it on the show." I'm like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. Why don't we do it on the show?" Um, you know, I, I want to just before we get into. Uh, What's happening in my golf life next week? I can tell you that, you know, a couple things happened. Like, I had a, a round on uh, men's night where I, it was, you know, and I, and I don't want to say that. I want to sound like a dick when I say this. But when I, I, I don't really, especially at this time of the season, and as I told you before the show, I am getting so tired of playing my own course. I've played my home. I've pl- I love my home course, and I've played it. But I've played it more times in the last two years than I've played it in all the years I've been a member, and that's nine years now. So I think we all can feel that. You know, sometimes when you're playing your regular events, it just becomes, you know, like oh, here I am again, and I and I'm as excited. I was playing with some guys I really like, but I could just tell uh, that I wasn't engaged. I don't know if you've ever felt that. I, I know you and I have talked about feeling like that when we do presentations sometimes, you know, like you're, you can sort of tell when you're like really sort of zoned in. And sometimes you can tell when like, I'm just kind of going through the motions here. So I had a round like that the other night. And um, I'll just tell you a couple quick things and how that relates to tournament golf is that, uh, you know, I bogeyed the first couple of holes uh, back to my idea about not panicking. You know, they were... They were just bogeys. You know, I, the, the range was closed, so none of us warmed up, and I did all my stretching. But I, you know, I, I made a couple of sort of poor swings, but I made bogeys, not doubles. And on the third hole, I was about to make another bogey. And it was a weird thing because I, I had, uh, 
we were playing lift clean in place, but not in the fescue. And I, it was mm. a t- real. Did, did you play Wednesday in the shoot seventy eight? By the way, was that your no, night? No, no, that was uh, what day? No, I, sh- I that was on Saturday. That I shot oh, okay. seventy eight. The reason so I asked lovely day because Wednesday here. Uh, in the GTA it was really windy and it's interesting as soon as August ended it was funny to me and I don't know if you noticed this when it was so humid there right. weren't very many windy days and you know meteorologically it's because the air mass is stalled oh, but, as, but as fronts come in and out of <laughs> that's what creates weather is fronts moving in and out right so, so the this last, is your morning man this is your morning man knowledge coming to no, the no this is the aviation knowledge <laughs> Oh, yeah. This is all aviation stuff that you learn because you have to be careful about weather. And one of the things you learn is that fronts are what cause all this, you know, atmospheric, you know, turmoil. So it's been once again, windy at Glencairn as it is at Blue Springs. So I knew it was going to be a tough day. So I bogeyed the first couple holes. I, 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 I hit a pretty good shot on this par three, but I tug it and the wind brings it and I'm a foot from the the rough which you can touch your ball so i've got a really bad lie so i just chunk it onto the green and i'm looking at my third bogey in a row i've only been out on the golf course for less than 40 minutes and i sink the putt so the reason i mention it is that i was fine at a 22 foot putt that i wasn't trying to ram in the hole to not make a bogey i was like well (laughs) you know yeah i can make three bogeys in a row who do i think you know what i mean i was literally resigned because a 22 foot putt my make rate is a three percent exactly but it goes in and and it gives you it gave me just a little bit of a a little bit of a jolt like i was surprised it went in it was a good putt but it went in and it just lifted me a little bit Mm. So that's a good emotional and my emotional response to that. And this is where I'm getting to. I had a good emotional response because it was a pleasant emotion. Conversely, later in the round, I made a rare double bogey. And then I made a decision on the next hole that had I not made the double bogey, I wouldn't have made that decision. And and that's kind of what I want to leave everyone with is you've got to be aware when you make decisions based on what's just happened, good or bad, mm-hmm. and, and recognize that. Because, you know, I'm, uh, as you know, I've, I've evolved, but still, I, I, I made a... You're the GSL. I, I know. But on, on this whole after I made a rare double, and the double shocked me as well, the same way that making that putt shocked me, making the double was kind of like, What? Because I was going along, I had bird, after I made the putt, I birdied the next hole. So all of a sudden, I go from two over to one over, and now I'm kind of playing my regular game. And the, the round's underway, and I'm making a par, 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 par. All of a sudden, I make a double. And I'm like, what? That wasn't in the plan. And then I made a decision <laughs> that I should go for the green, uh, and I shouldn't have. And I, of course, went in the water. Now, it doesn't matter that I ended up making par. It doesn't matter. The point is, I made a decision based on emotions. So next week... Um, and the reason I want to mention emotions is because I'm an emotional person and when I get excited and, or I get pissed off, I make, you know, those are the sort of triggers for me and a lot of golfers. So I was thinking about talking to you about just this idea that, and I could counsel myself, but I'm curious about what you have to say. I'm excited to play in this tournament next week versus dreading playing in it. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times oh, yeah. I go to these things and I've said this to you before. I, I feel sometimes like I, I sort of like 
sneak up on golf. Like, I don't want golf to know I'm there. And I hope I don't embarrass myself. I hope myself. I don't embarrass myself, and I hope yeah. no one makes fun of me and all this stuff. But I don't feel that way anymore, so it's the opposite. I'm feeling a little bit, maybe a bit too cocky, maybe a mm-hmm. bit too, you know, bring it on. So what would you say to a, uh, a player on your team? I'm on your team. Um, sort of in terms of like preparing for a tournament when you feel confidence and feel good about your game. And uh, like, what, what would your advice for a player be when you approach a, a, a round like this? Well, I would say it's about a lot of things. What uh, is your life is a round of golf is it sort of pushed around by sort of what what happens during the day? You know, I'm going to do one thing. Oh, this happened. I'll do something different. You know, in a round of golf, I, you know, I made a double. Maybe I'll do different than I planned. Mm-hmm. I really think that our, our lives are, in a rounds of golf, are m- much more aligned with what we want when we make a commitment. It's like, it's, it's like a lot of my clients says, what's your mission? You know, in a golf game or in your life, what's your mission? Because if you don't, that was sort of the winds will buffet you all over the place. So what I would, I always talk to players, what's your commitment for the day? A, what's your intention overall for the round? But what's your commitment, say, on each hole? Okay, I'm going to hit driver on, on number one. I'm going to hit hybrid on number two, whatever, whatever, like that. And that, to me, takes out the that tendency that kind of get blown around a bit. So when we stay true to our commitment, I mean, like you said that you're going to be, I mean, that's so cool. You're, you're going to go through the loyalist course with, uh, Fawcett, the decade guy. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't even know. I didn't know it was coming. Yeah. I'm, Um, uh, I'm You want to talk about lucky. I'm going to get a chance after we record this to spend an hour with Scott Fawcett. Uh, having him help me map out the course, which is ridiculous. Yeah, but that's that's so amazing. Yeah. So you'll come away with that, I'm quite certain, with, okay, here's what you're going to do on this hole, this hole. So it's mapped out. So when you're in the swirl of emotions, you know, things happen, you make a double or, God forbid, a triple or whatever, um, you don't stand on that next tee and go, well, damn it, I'm hitting driver. Yeah. No, that's a good that, point. That's a great no, point, actually. So when you make a commitment, it, it and I think that's why really good players map out what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they, even to the point, I think that, um, you know, say in a fourth round, okay, if we're in the lead, this is what we do. If we're, if we're contending uh, and we need to make something happen, this is what we do. I think it even it, it goes to that, that level. I, I want to ask a follow-up because I love what you said about intention and commitment. Because they're different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and I had this discussion with Charles. I'm going to tell you a funny... Can I just tell you a quick Charles Fitzsimmons story? I love Charles Fitzsimmons stories. I mean, he's a Canadian mid-amateur champ. Why would yeah, I he's not like this, he's this, uh, You know, he's so good. He's such a... He's like the 600th ranked amateur on planet Earth. And he's a big old bear of a He's nice a man. sweet boy. Anyway, uh, you know, he and I are friends. And I, you know, I, I was talking... Because he was happy. He was on the show last week. And we were talking about it. 
And I said, uh, hey, we haven't, you know, I said, I want to talk because he played Loyalist a couple years ago in the Mid-Am. It's funny how, you know, Gordner reached out to me because he played in the Mid-Am. Casey's kids played in the Mid-Am there at Loyalist or uh, tournament. So he sent me a a course tour he did. Everyone in golf, you know, um, it's such a great community. Mm -hmm. So Charles said, hey, let me just take you through the course. Uh, You know, I'll tell you a couple things. The first thing he says, I think it's going to be a great course for you, which is great. So I'm, I have this hour-long conversation with him on Tuesday after the long weekend. Then I go, and uh, we had this little fun event at our course Tuesday afternoon, a little shootout with a bunch of guys for money. It was really cool. And somebody sees me there and says, hey, uh, something, something, uh, St. Thomas. I go, yeah, I'm playing the early bird. And a couple of weeks goes, yeah, your, your buddy uh, Charles won the club championship this weekend. I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> what? yeah, yeah. I said, what? So I get on the phone. I go, dude. I just spent an hour and a half with you this morning on Zoom. When were you going to tell me you won the club championship? Because oh yeah, 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 I won the club. And then, then his girlfriend, Kelsey, she won the the ladies' club championship. Oh my I'm, golly! I'm texting. I go, what was that celebration like? Anyway, <laughs> but that's Charles. You know, the guy like anyone else, anyone, the rest of us would be like, all we'd be talking to with our buddy is I won the club championship. But Charles is, it's just so funny that he, he didn't even mention it, not even passing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I'm not surprised. No, I, not surprised. I, I, I am not either, because he just won the Canadian Mid-Am the week before. Um, but I was talking to him about what I'm going to ask you, which is, so intention and commitment, I, I get that. But what about expectations, and how do I, you know, like, how do you, what's the difference between an expectation and a goal? Uh, and as Charles said, well, you can't, expectations sometimes are results-oriented, Mm-hmm. But but it's it's one thing you know I, I have an an, uh, an aspiration of what I'd like where I'd like to finish what I'd like to do but all I can expect is to just you know and we sort of came away from this session or talking about this with the idea that just keep doing what you're doing and just do that some more because it's not like between now and Monday I'm going to learn some magic thing about golf I didn't know so what are your thoughts around that how do I mitigate how excited slash you know. Like I, th- I want to. I think I'm going to do well. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know what really good players think about when they go into a tournament. But my intention is, I think I'm going to do well. I want to do well. So help. Okay. Cool. Well, I would say now this may sound really altruistic, but could you go into it with a goal that no matter what happens at this thing, you're going to savor this experience. Yes. You're going to learn as much as you can from it. And you're just going to be there and just get everything you can out of it. That way you get a win. So I have a a friend, a client who's going to the Ryder Cup. He's got a bunch of golf. And he says, he says, I guess whether I have a good time or not, it's based on how well I play. I said, no, wait a sec. Wait a sec. <laughs> well, wait, how well he plays in the Ryder Cup or around? No, well, in, uh, they're playing. You, you can imagine all these people going to Wisconsin. Oh, I see what you mean. Like he, he, and playing all the golf courses around it and then going. Okay, well, there you go. I want to hear about this because there's a guy just going on a fun golf trip saying, well, I guess right. how good a time I have is based on how well I play fun golf. Yeah. And I'm okay. saying, I'm saying, look, I said, that's just. If it's ba- if the the time you have is based on how well you play, yeah. that's a lose lose proposition. Yep. You, so what I'm saying to you in terms of your uh, you know entire senior championship is, can you set a framework, a context, so that no matter what happens, this is a great experience. Yes. 
because now you set yourself up so that you're you're dialed into enjoying your experience you have some awareness of what your overall goal is yeah you see expectations um so in these uh workshops i've done around accountability with golf professionals you hear this all the time setting the expectation i just wish we could just sort of expunge that word from our lexicon because expectations is sets us up for for judgment this is the way it should be this is what i hope will happen yeah of course we hope we aspire to things but expectations are basically saying this is i expect to do this and it's based on subjectivity and there's emotion and we're just not dealing with reality i agree with expectations so what i did as uh you know, a little prior work to our conversation today is I, I thought this week, like, okay, my my ability to play golf at a high level aside, I, I, I've ruminated on the idea that at 61, I'm, you know, relatively healthy. And next week I get to play at a, at a high level golf tournament. I don't know how many of these I'm going to get to play. And I've, you know, how many I've played, I've played a lot of them. And I thought, you know what, my, my job next week is to, re- this is the last, second last big tournament of the year. Um, and I'm going to enjoy the experience. So I, I want to, I want to enjoy all, I want to savor all the moments. Uh, you know, you know, I love all that stuff and, 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 ex, you know, being announced on the first tee and having roped off areas and all that golfy mm-hmm. stuff, the banners, the banners and all, and, yep. and, and the, the, it's a, you know, it's very official. It's not, I will tell you right now for you people listening, it's not like the club championship. It's exciting. It, just like the club championship, but there's another level because everywhere you look are guys that are better than you and, uh, and good golfers. Uh, one of the guys in the tournament this week is uh, just finished playing in the USGA's, you know, senior uh, amateur, Dave Bunker. He's like the Tiger oh, yeah. Woods of geezers. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, not ahead of you, but I, I anticipated that this is really the win for me is all, I've already won because I get to go and play in it. Um, and I just have to mitigate my excitement around you know, what I think might happen if I play well. But I know how, you know, I know how playing well has nothing to do with how I swing. So I can't guarantee how I'm going to hit my golf ball next week. No guarantee. But I do know how to play now. And I will, my goal is to play the best I can. Play the best I can. Not swing the best I can. And whatever shows up, however I'm hitting it, I will make decisions based on what I've uh, uh, I've learned about playing, but in terms of my takeaway, and I love what you said about enjoying and savoring the experience, and, and I that's going to be great for me. And so, whatever I shoot, I shoot, and yeah, it would be disappointing to to not shoot good scores, but I won't be disappointed with the experience. I guarantee yeah. it. Yeah, and part of the thing what we're talking about here is, and we've heard people have heard us talk about it at Infinitum on this show is about what are those things we can actually control? Yes, because we cannot control score, we cannot control our swing. People go, "What do you mean I can't control my swing?" No, you can't. You don't know that you're going to wake up with a twinge in your back that day, or that you didn't sleep well. Or just your body's just different based on things you ate, etc. So we can influence score and swing and whatnot, but the things we can control are things like the decisions you make on on a tee. 
mm-hmm. you know, and you, based on say your commitments or, or or what's what's going on up there. Or I'm going to make you know I'm going to have a goal of I'm not going to make a decision until. You know, I'm in a place of sort of emotional neutrality. Yeah. I've, I've bre- you know, I've breathed a couple times and I've got myself centered. I'm never going to hit before I'm ready. Things like that. Those yeah. are the things that can, can pull you through because you have control over those. Right. As Stulin would say, our buddy Paul would call that state management. You can manage your state. Yeah, you, can't, you, can. you can't manage your score because that's... Nope. You can hit a great shot, have a bad break, blah, blah, blah. But you can manage your state. That is yeah. something, a goal I can have, is that I will be in the best state that I can muster on every shot. Yeah, and just it's just logical. Why would you put all your, your eggs, particularly all this, this emotional stuff around things you can't control? You yeah. don't know, man. You're playing in mid-September. You can have lovely summer weather. It could also, in eastern Ontario, get cold, yeah. blowy, and rainy for all four days. And then... So then, especially then, in tough conditions, what are those things that have you rooted to the ground so you can make really good decisions and not get, you know, I think I'm working this metaphor pretty hard. I love it. <laughs> Keep working get, it. Get blown make it all your own. <laughs> Just so that, so that the, the winds of change and, and, you know, literally and figuratively don't yeah. blow you all over the place. You know, control what you can control, and those are all goals that I can, that are good goals. Like I, you know, I've, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm preparing the best I can, and um, you know, I've got my practice rounds booked with a couple of good players that I know. I mean, all, all of the, the ex- like I haven't played, so I've played in this tournament now. This will be my fourth time in five years, my sixth or seventh GAO or Golf Canada event in the same period of time. And when I first started working with you or talking to you in 2016, I qualified for the Ontario Mid-Am at Lambton. And my first two rounds were 92, you know, 82. I just was not, it was too much for me. I hadn't done it for a long time. But now when I drive in there on Monday, I know what to expect. I know I'll be excited. But I also know that, you know, I'm there to do this job the best I can and have as much fun as I can. Because as I said, you know, I, I've thought a lot this week about this opportunity that I've had in golf and the people I get to know like you and, you know, Sean Casey and talking to Scott Fawcett today. It's mind blowing to me. Totally. You know, and, and the fact that, you know, there's really good golfers in this tournament. Ashley Chinner, former PGA Tour player. Dave Bunker, I think, played some professional golf. Lars Melander. And, and the, you know, I, and in my group on, uh, on uh, Tuesday, I got my tee time. You know, and I felt good because, you know, as you may remember, I'm the 25th ranked senior in Ontario. But you can, I could just see like who I got paired with. You know, I'm 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 sort of in the group of guys that are some of the better players. I thought that was kind of cool. I'm playing in my group on Tuesday as the 2019 senior am winner. Like, it's just cool that I'm sort of in the conversation now, yeah. and um, and I'm just going to enjoy it. You know, like again. If I shoot whatever I shoot, well, that's golf. And everyone will understand that golf's hard. And, uh, you know, and, and I hope I can have a high, you know, I hope I can shoot a big number and still enjoy the day. I hope that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, gosh, I'm trying to find something that I put out there the other day. Um, oh, gosh. 
you know, one of the things, so, so yeah, you're in the conversation now. So that's really cool. So consider the, um, the, I don't even know her first name for gosh sakes. Tells you how much I follow tennis. I don't. Um, so there she is. She's, she's in the final now of the U.S. of the U.S. Open. And, um, I just need you to back away from that mic a little bit there, pal. You're starting to overmodulate a bit. Okay. That's fine. Um, Basically, her dad's her coach saying, don't pay attention to any of the social media stuff. Yeah. Not to the media, anything. Because what happens? We get caught in the story. You get in the expectations. Oh, I'm not living up to, I'm not, I'm not the phenom. I'm not the 29th ranked amateur, whatever, senior. Sorry. (laughs) 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 But it's, it's just, how do we stay out of the story? Yeah. You know, you do, I love how you talked about that. It was a couple of weeks ago. How in a round of golf you you do this sort of uh, debrief with Henrik, right? Yeah. And you and what you found was that you were, you know, you'd be on hole three and go, oh, I can tell Henrik this is going to happen, and then now this is going to happen, and like stop that nonsense. Again, it's back to awareness. What am I paying attention to? Yeah. I want to be paying attention to what's going on out here as opposed to what's going on in here between my ears. And what I mean by that is like. If we're paying attention and dialed into the story, oh, I'm not going to live up to my own expectations. Uh, they're going to think I'm a choke. Then you are just putting the, the shackles on yourself. I, I couldn't agree more, and I appreciate your feedback. Um, but I, I think the big takeaway for me, and, and you've confirmed it, is that you know my my experience of next week. You know, um, ha- I'm going to make it less about the scores I shoot and more about. Am I able to take what I've learned this year and last year and over the years? Am I going to be able to help? That experience is going to inform this experience coming up because, you know, like I'm going to hit some bad shots. I'm going to hit some good shots. Some things are going to go my way. Some things won't. But as long as I can, you know, Focus on every shot. What I was going to say is that the the most um, and Fawcett will tell people this. the The biggest thing that he wants you to learn from decade isn't about scoring and isn't it about expectations. It's literally about discipline. The D in decade for discipline. There's distance and dis- discipline. He said it's the hardest thing, easiest thing to understand, hardest thing to do. And there's a mental scorecard that I keep for every sh- for every hole I play. And on the days that I shoot lower scores, my mental score, it's 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 unbelievable. It's always in the 90s, like 91. I've never had a I've had one round this year was 95 percent. PGA Tour players are at 95 percent pretty much universally. Amateurs, <laughs> we, we're yeah. in like the 70s and 80s. And, and I'll tell you, the, your handicap has more to do with that than any other part of decade. Because well I, I see to my that, own game. Yep, that is a, 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 a milestone moment in swing thoughts. <laughs> wow. There's so much truth to that. Yeah. Is that. Really, your handicap is about how you think. Yes. Your handicap is based on how you react. And, you know, how you get just sort of uh, buttressed by your own expectations and, and, and all these things. Um, you know, just one thing I want to make the point before we wrap up today. I think you've inferred it, uh, but I want to express it outright. I think that what you're talking about savoring the experience is 
very close cousin, at least, of gratitude. It's like here you are. I mean, like you said, you're you know you're on the other side of uh, of sixty, and you're playing some of the best golf of your life. Um, I think this is the lowest your handicap has ever been. Yeah, and what an amazing experience! You're going to go out to Kingston. You have all these guys come, many of who you who you know and you enjoy see, and you get to compete in a in a in a provincial championship. That is so so cool. So. Again, what's the context? So if the context is one of gratitude, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I'm just happy to be here and I'll hit the ball sideways. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although You're that can happen. That. Yes, it can. Yes. But um, it's, just, it's just kind of more of a place where we can stay present, stay grounded, and that allows us to be able to draw on our skill, our experience, our talent, because what generally happens when we self-interfere is that we can't access those things that we already have. Yeah, for sure. No, and, and you already and, got all that good stuff. Well, and, and, and thank you. And, and, and I, and you're right. It's not only that it, it is the, what, what I was inferring, and I guess I should have said it overtly was I've thought a lot about this week about how lucky I am. I told you before the show about all these things that we get to have and get to do, you know, because of our association with each other and all the people that we know. But, uh, but as far as getting into this tournament, you know, I didn't get in last year. I was disappointed. And now I'm back playing in it. So my overall is going to be one of gratitude and just looking around and enjoying it because you just never know. You know, at our age, you just never know. You know, oh, yeah, I hope goodness. to play uh, tournament golf for as long as I play, whatever version I can play, because I really love it. But... You know, next week is another opportunity to put a tag on my bag that said I I did this thing. Mm-hmm. But even even without that, I, I don't I don't need this tournament, as my friend Ken Osborne would say. I don't need this for um, to validate myself as a golfer anymore. You know, I've done that. I I don't need uh, if I if I shot three two rounds of ninety two and missed the cut. I don't need to prove to anyone else that I can sort of play. I would not like to shoot 92, by the way, for the record. Okay. I get it. But okay. you know, one, one thing before I just let this go. You've, you've said it a couple of times last week and, and today that you're excited. Yeah. That's wonderful. And I, I just don't want people to get the idea that being excited is like nervous and, and afraid. No. I mean, excited is great. You want that. You want adrenaline. You know, that helps you stay focused, all that good stuff. Man, uh, being excited about your a golf tournament, your day, whatever, that's that's great place to be uh listen good luck with the uh, guelph griffins uh, golf uh, team coach tim uh back on the uh pitch uh tim is kind of like the ted lasso of golf coaches uh for you people who have seen that you know what i mean jwapparelinc.com is uh what we're wearing and taylormadegolf.ca of course is what we play uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and the Humble and Fred Show. HumbleandFred.com. We'll see you. Are we going to do a show next Friday? Don't know. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, wait a sec. You're in Kingston for guys. No, no, I'm only in Kingston until Thursday. So Friday I'm available. Well, if you want to do, do the we'll do debrief. debrief. Oh, great. We'll do a debrief. Yes, we're, we're on for a All show. All right. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next time. Congratulations again, Brad. But the horns, they blow in that sound